Welcome to There's More to the Quote. I'm your host, Lauren, and together we will dig into the origins of our culture's most repeated quotes and how they inform the way we relate to ourselves and each other. Thank you for joining me for episode three of There's More to the Quote. Today, we're discussing the quote, if 2020 didn't bring the hustle out of you, it ain't in you. But before we get started, we have our random quote of the day. Today's random quote is from Tressie McMillan Cottom. It is interesting how deeply we hold that beauty is natural and our desires are immune to capitalism and racism and colonialism, and sexism, and ableism, and politics, and well, social construction. The article or essay where this quote came from, I will leave in the description, but it is a very interesting one about how we view beauty. So let's get started with the podcast. I'm going to break the podcast into four sections. First, we're going to talk about scarcity mindset. Next, we're going to talk about capitalism and productivity, then self-care and the monetization of self-care. And then lastly, we're going to talk about no time to rest. So let's start with scarcity. So many of us, as we transitioned into adulthood, at some point in time, we, we dreamed of, or we right now, we're currently dreaming of being financially stable. And then some of us want to be rich. Like we specifically like, I want to be rich. Or some of us want to be billionaires. I see that a lot. But mostly if we grew up, if you watched your parents or your caregivers, if they were struggling or not being able to do certain things due to finances, you don't want that for yourself, right? We don't want that for ourselves. And so when you have people who say things, And people who are rich, who say things like Diddy said, if 2020 didn't bring the hustle out of you, it ain't in you during the pandemic. Other things people say, not just during the pandemic, but in general, all about I'll sleep when I'm dead, hustle harder, or, oh, I see people out here hustling and doing this. I must be doing something wrong. It's no surprise that people begin to feel inadequate and feeling like they're procrastinating too much because they're looking at what other people are doing. And this is a society where, you know, having money, having material things, being rich, you know, it seems like it's where it's at. This podcast is not about finances. That is a totally different conversation. But that fear of never having enough scarcity, or maybe at some point you're going to be poor and broke, it always creeps up for so many people, whether they're conscious of it or not. And the truth is, most Americans are living paycheck to paycheck. It's true, despite the stunting on the internet, new cars or outfits. And because of that, we know, and it may be you, this is not about other people, this may be you, we all know somebody or us who is all about grinding hustling, doing whatever it takes to take care of your your financial obligations. And to become financially stable, aka rich, is the goal. So those of us who grew up in a low income, a fixed income, or a middle class household, 
you've hustled, you've grinded, or you've done without to make sure that you were in a position to get out of whatever hopeless situation you were in. So whether it's working two jobs or side hustling, you know, working a full-time job, then doing Uber, then doing Postmates. And some of us have heard the joke. Somebody said it to me (laughs) one time, not in a a side hustle context, a different context, but they said, are you Jamaican? Because you got a lot of jobs or you know your family can't or won't support you once you hit 18. Of course, because at 18, you should be able to snap into adulthood. The idea of hustling and grinding is born out of many things. People not wanting to be in poverty, people being in abusive situations, they're just trying to get out, Uh, just dreams of just living a life of comfort, you know, not having to anticipate like, oh, can I pay my bills? You know, the American dream. But it's also a lie. Who the people who are doing the exploiting, they like to perpetrate. So I'm not saying that striving to not want to be in poverty is a bad thing. But what I do want to dig into is the things that come up because of this. It's so easy to fall into hustling and grinding mentality of once I get this much money, I'll be good. And if I'm rich and miserable, because people always say, oh, money doesn't make you happy. They're like, okay, I'm rich and miserable. At least I'm rich. (laughs) And we know that 1% of this country in the United States has almost 40% of the wealth and probably more since the pandemic. And it seems many people want to be in that number. They want to be in the 1%. And to do that, you're told that you follow the rules, do things a certain way, and then you can start your own business and then you'll be successful or you, you hustle and grind. You have several streams of income. You have a business over here, a business over there. And then, you know, you have the potential to become a millionaire. And then every once in a while, you're you're in that number where you can become a billionaire. What's interesting to me is that for the Black American community, many of us descend from enslaved Africans whose bodies had to produce no matter what they wanted. They had to hustle. They had to grind. I don't even know if I want to call that hustling. They had to grind. Because their bodies created an economy. It, it, it ran an economy. It created institutions. It created wealth. The grind to make sure that your cotton weighed a certain amount or enough tobacco was p- picked for that week. That is in our DNA. I feel like that's passed down to every generation. And capitalism which is, if you're in the United States, that's the system we are in. Capitalism is all about always being productive, always working and grinding. So that brings me to our next section about capitalism and productivity. So what is the connection between capitalism and productivity in America, at least? It's not just the free labor from slavery, but it is the way of life in this country today. But most people would agree. That being productive is something to aspire to. I mean, we learned that growing up. Procrastination, being lazy, not living up to your full potential aren't traits that are upheld as good things in our society. And from the time we are children, productivity is ingrained in us. So the definition of capitalism is an economic and political system in which a country's trade and industry are controlled by private owners for profit 
rather than by the state. The definition of productivity is the effectiveness of productive effort, especially in industry, as measured in terms of the rate of output per unit of input. So if we go back to slavery in this country, on the plantation, whether it was one enslaved person or 100, they would work from sunup to sundown. Whether they were on the outside or the inside, but not all work was on a plantation picking cotton. So you had tobacco, rice, sugar cane. You had to prepare the land for the crops. And in different parts of the country, there were people who were enslaved who worked in coal mines. They were blacksmith, carpenters, many other, all of it forced labor. And no matter what they did, taking even a short break or a day off was not up to them. And whoever survived learned how to get their work done with the quantity needed so the enslaver can make a certain amount of money and so that they wouldn't get beaten or whatever other horrific things happened. So they were at the bottom and they worked for free and they were the most productive people in America before it was America and after it became the United States of America. So let's take a little bit deeper into productivity in America, like the history of productivity. So let's talk about Henry Ford. And I think that name is familiar to everyone. But if the Henry part isn't familiar to you, you're scratching your head. I know you heard about Ford Motor Company. It is currently a car company, automobile company in America. So in 1913, Henry Ford unveiled the first iteration of what became known as the assembly line. And he did it to increase productivity in his automobile factories in the Detroit area. So taking note of other industries like the meat industry, bakeries, breweries, which already has similar implementations for their processes, he took that and he made it possible to mass produce cars in a shorter amount of time, which meant more vehicles for sale, which meant more money for him to make, of course. And he didn't do any more work. (laughs) Like having the assembly line, which he didn't think of himself, you know, he just saw other industries and got it, which one could argue is a smart thing to do. It was a smart thing to do. But during that first implementation, some of the tasks did make assembling the automobiles faster. But I have a question. Just thinking about Henry Ford and what he did for, for Ford Motor Company. Why are we trying to be productive? all the time, even when we are tired. Are we like the assembly line? Are we the, but the actual machines, are we producing products that make other people money? One could argue that. But I'm not saying that, you know, don't have a job, don't have a career and don't take care of your family. But if any of those things slack every once in a while, why does it have to be that you're not being productive? Farm workers who make sure the food that we eat at home and when we're out at restaurants, they are very productive. But I wonder how many of us don't ever think of them or even look down on them. Now, personally, I wouldn't want to be a farm worker because that is a difficult job. And the National Farm Workers Ministry on their website They say that most farm workers are paid based on how many buckets or bags they pick 
of whatever crop they harvest. And this is known as piece rate. So similarly, outside of the payment, (laughs) enslaved Africans who were picking cotton, picking all types of stuff, and they they wanted to pick a certain amount. Um, But the payment, so for the farm workers today, is some drawbacks to you get paid by how much you pick. Well, number one, it's it's a disincentive to take breaks for water or for shade because the more you take breaks, the more you cut into your productivity and then you cut into your pay. And many of us who are working, we don't take breaks just like the farm workers. But we could be getting paid way more than the farm workers because you know we are. Or maybe some people are getting paid equivalent. They're not doing farm work, but they're doing other minimum wage jobs or below minimum wage jobs. And maybe you do have, you know, you have air conditioning and all that, but maybe you're still stressed. You're still stressed out just like they are. You're still not taking your breaks. You're still (laughs) the same things that they experience, you might experience too. But then people may tell us like, oh, you know, it's just a mindset. If you keep working hard, you're going to be able to get out of that minimum wage job. You're going to be able to do this and do that. It's just the way you think. You don't want to do better. That's why you're in the situation you're in. You're in where you have to stress yourself out and work these long hours for little pay. That's what we're told. (laughs) And some of us may think that. Some of you all might think that. Now, I watched a conversation between Nikki Giovanni and sociologist Tressie McMillan Cottom, who was our random quote of the day. And they were talking about a lot of things in this conversation, but there was something I really enjoyed, loved hearing Tressie McMillan Cottom say, talking about the system, it's designed for you to be incompetent. Even when you're winning, when the winning hurts as much as the losing, you have to know that the system was not designed for you. And and obviously she's talking about black people. Let me be more specific. She's talking about black people in this. And that is the case of contemporary black life. That winning at the status competition is just as miserable as losing at it. Black kids at Yale are just as miserable as black kids who never managed to get out of high school. What does that say to you about a system? And she goes on to say what it should say to you, not that there is something about black folk, but that there is something about the status competition that says that even when you have won, you have lost. Well, then you have got to divest your sense of self-worth from that system, even as you do the things you've got to do to kind of survive. But surviving is not living. And we all know the status competition, you know, trying to get to this next level, hustling to get to the next financial level. To get to a place where you can be in the elite. And we continue to hear. We continue to hear. And some of us believe it. And some of us say it. Our families say it. Our communities say it. Changing your mindset. When you are focused and you're grinding and you're positive thinking, you don't let racism, you don't let sexism hold you back. People aren't successful because they don't want to put in the hard work it takes to get to the top. 
They're lazy. Social psychologist Devin Price wrote on the topic of laziness. So a few years ago, they had an article entitled, titled, Laziness Does Not Exist. And there's a quote, you should read the article and I'm going to leave a link, but there's a quote that kind of sums up this idea of laziness. When we think of reasons why people don't do what they want to do, you know, you don't work hard enough, you don't do this. So the quote is, people do not choose to fail or disappoint. No one wants to feel incapable, apathetic, or ineffective. If you look at a person's action or inaction and see only laziness, you are missing key details. There is always an explanation. There are always barriers. Just because you can't see them or don't view them as legitimate doesn't mean that they're not there. Look harder. So when we think about the rumbles from Diddy's recent Instagram post where he said, if 2020 didn't bring the hustle out of you, it ain't in you. It brings up this idea that, oh, you all were just lazy all of 2020. Everything was shut down. You should have produced something. You should have been productive. And while I was looking to see people's reactions to what Diddy said, I actually came across a tweet from someone who responded to someone else's screenshot of Diddy's Instagram post. And they had an article about Revolt TV. So just a little history. In 2013, Comcast pledged that they were going to put more minority-run channels on to Comcast. And of the channels, Diddy's Diddy was one of the people who got one of the channels. So he got Revolt TV. And Magic Johnson got Aspire. And then there were other groups who got their channels. And in 2013, Diddy was excited, of course, to have his own channel. Six years later, uh, in an article about Diddy was quoted in an article where they were talking about Byron Allen, who had this lawsuit. And Diddy was chiming in about Revolt TV. And so this is what he said about Comcast. He said, well, the start we received was important. But it is not the level of support needed to build a successful African-American-owned network. So he was kind of admitting that Revolt TV wasn't that successful. And then he says, since the launch, our relationship has not grown. And Revolt is still not carried by Comcast in the most affordable packages. Nor is Revolt available in all of the markets that would enable us to serve our target audience. Maybe Diddy ain't hustle hard enough. Maybe Comcast didn't see the hustle. And so they were like, eh, we're not going to put you with the target. You know, I'm just playing around. But <laughs> the person who screenshot that article, which I went to go look at, they were like, wait a minute. Now, Diddy is telling us that if we didn't basically produce something or hustle really hard in the 2020 when the pandemic hit, that we don't have a hustle in us, whatever that means. But he himself got hustled by Comcast. Diddy is a multimillionaire. He's seen as a mogul. He's successful. But his Revolt TV wasn't successful. He was he was blamed. It's not like he was making excuses about why he wasn't successful because of Comcast, right? It sounds like he might have had some barriers to his success. And wouldn't it be crazy if other people who weren't 
at Diddy's level, the average person also had barriers, maybe during the pandemic. But GQ did an article on Diddy a little while ago. And they had this article titled Diddy's Seven Habits of Highly Effective Moguls. Number seven in the article was that he never sleeps. And it was talking to former artists and people who've worked with him on different things, movies and stuff, how that he he just didn't believe in getting sleep. He was always hustling and grinding. And I'm thinking, wow, he was hustling and grinding. And that wasn't enough to have Revolt TV be what he thought it was. All that hustling and grinding didn't get him anywhere. And he was saying, it's because of Comcast I'm not successful. I'm not saying he was lying. I'm just saying that hustling and grinding ain't all it's cracked up to be. But we're actually going to get back to the idea of never sleeping and I'll sleep when I'm dead and all that stuff. We're going to get back to that. But let's kind of return to this idea of the status competition and working hard and doing all of that. The Census Bureau in 2018, their statistics showed that one in eight of Americans live below the poverty line. And so in 2018, the poverty line was $25,465 a year for a family of four. So one in eight Americans live below that. And that included places like New York and California. And so altogether, there were 38 million Americans who were living in poverty. And what's interesting is the Center for American Progress said that that number, it doesn't include households who are struggling to make ends meet and take care of basic necessities. So maybe you're not making $20,000 a year. Maybe you're making 50 or 60, 70, whatever, but you're still having, you're still struggling to make ends meet so that the calculation that they use for poverty, it doesn't include how much you're paying for housing. It doesn't include uh, transportation. It doesn't include childcare or healthcare cost, but the top 20% of households received more than half of the income. And that's interesting when we consider people who believe poor people are just lazy or people say, well, a minimum wage job, you shouldn't raise the minimum wage because that's not a job that you're supposed to stay in. You need to be, go to school, hustle and grind. I don't know, do all these things, but only there's only a certain amount of people in this country who are living pretty comfortably And that's not most Americans. I mean, the statistics show a lot of people are struggling to make ends meet. Once again, this is before the pandemic. So this idea that we have at this status competition of like, you know, oh, those poor people, they're not doing it. But as Tressie McMillan Cottom said, even the black kids who went to Yale, going to the fancy private schools, and they are still experiencing the same issues that the poor people are experiencing barriers, right? We're talking about like Diddy was saying he could some barriers that may have nothing to do with you just working hard, right? And so, I mean, let's make it plain. Those barriers could be the racism, (laughs) sexism. And some of us are privileged and lucky enough, maybe because of a, a grandparent, a generation before somebody that we can be in a position to be okay. But a lot of people really aren't okay. And that brings me to our third section about self-care and the monetization of self-care. We work hard, we get tired, then we get exhausted, then we get burnt out. We're not good friends, parents, coworkers, students, community members. 
And so how do you get your, you know, get yourself back or relax? Because, you know, even though people grind hard and hustle hard, you do hear a lot about self-care, you know, at least on like the internet, most people wouldn't disagree with you. You know, people are all about hustling, grinding, but usually you don't see people like saying, oh, self-care is bad. Like I've never seen anyone say self-care is bad. People usually agree that self-care is something you should do. Or people are saying, I need some self-care, that they have to force themselves to do self-care. But let's get, let's go back. Let's see what is self-care. So let's kind of describe what it is. You've never heard of it before. And the concept isn't new. It's existed for years. And there are two different types of self-care. So there is a health care self-care. So I'm not talking about that one. Um, I'm talking about the one most people will be familiar with, which is a practice of taking an active role in protecting one's own well-being and happiness, in particular during periods of stress. So the history of this, that type of self-care, the one that we all know, it kind of came out of the first one. I mean, you can kind of tie it to the first one. So Black activists, 60s, 70s, they wanted to find ways to kind of take a pause or a moment while doing, while doing their work. They're activists. And I know some people don't think about it. I never really think about it or thought about it before, but activists experience burnout. Just like people who work a job, working really hard, you get tired, you get exhausted. Activists get tired and exhausted as well. And with activism, you know, the work is never done. They started to turn to things like meditation. And this is with groups like the Black Panther Party. So they would do things like meditation. Also, they would provide wellness services to the community. Now that would be kind of considered more a community collective care, but it was all tied together. Also, a lot of people who talk about self-care, they like to quote Audre Lorde. Audre Lorde was an activist, a poet, a writer, and she had a book of essays titled A Burst of Light. And in there, she said, caring for myself is not self-indulgence. It is self-preservation. And that is an act of political warfare. Self-care has been going on for a long time in this country with people from uh, marginalized communities who put their minds, their bodies, their spirits on the line for a freedom of a people. And in that world, like I said, it's a nonstop grind fighting for freedom. For me, if I think about when I started seeing the word self-care, like becoming a buzzword would be like the early 2010s. And I think also with that is the monetization of it, right? A cost to relaxation. So when you think about self-care, what does it look like? So for me, several years ago when I was like, oh, I'm going to start doing self-care. I'm going to start taking self-care days. Immediately, I would think about, I'm going to get a massage. I'm going to get pedicures. I'm going to take a day off to go shopping. You know, sometimes I'm just laying around watching TV or something like that. But most of the times it involved money or even if it didn't involve money, Within a few days, I'm back to grinding hard, right? I'm, I'm still going back to grinding. I have that one day and then I'm back to the grinding. So everyone's self-care looks different, but it is obvious that these days corporations have even begun to let us know that we need to have self-care. Like we don't have to remind ourselves. They're going to remind us on their terms, which means more money for us to spend, more money for them to make. There is literally a branding of self-care in all industries. 
I mean, I, I don't know if there's any industry who hasn't used, it, used self-care as a brand. I check my email because I don't delete my emails. And I just typed in self-care just to see what companies will pop up. And I mean, there were so many emails that ranged from food, beauty, banking, all of them. So I just want to name a few of the email subject lines that talked about self-care. So the first one was titled 10 discounts to help you unwind for better self-care. And so it included wine delivery, which wine is not cheap. Um, mattresses, which is not cheap either, and gourmet chocolate discounts, right? For you to have stuff like this. Once again, you're still spending money to care for yourself because you're burnt out from grinding to make money. Don't know. Another uh, email um, said, let's focus on self-care. And then it said, here's a list of 10 black businesses to treat yourself. Now they're trying to touch you with your heartstrings, support black business, treat yourself. As if self-care is all about indulgence. You could do that any day. I don't know. There's another one that said self-care, but for your hair. So, of course, they're selling hair products. Step up your self-care with a sale on aromatherapy body care. <laughs> self-care Sunday. Free delivery on our orders. And then a favorite one. This one almost got me. So it was an exercise studio that I used to be a part of. I still get emails and they, the email started off with an, just kind of them talking about how to do, how to do self-care. And they were talking about breathing exercises, listening to your body, ignore the scale, like don't push yourself too hard. And I was like, wow, this is actually an article about self-care. And then at the end they were like, but you know, we got a deal, $99 for the first month. If you want to come back, you know, they still were selling something. So I wanted us to think about what if self-care wasn't always financial? You know, the first thing we think about is I need to go do something where I have to spend money to get care. Like, you know, I have to buy something to care for myself. What if self-care or I have to take a day? What if self-care was in the middle of the day? Or what if you just took a break and that was your self-care? Maybe you go to bed early. And even if you're just laying there, you're just laying there doing nothing. But then I know what some people were saying, like, oh, I don't have the time. I ain't got, look, that's a luxury to do nothing. I got money to make. I got these ideas. I got to work with my business. I got these debts I got to pay down. I want to take some vacations because, you know, it's going to be self-care. I got to pay off these vacations. I got grocery shopping. I got homework to check for my kids. I don't have time. I'm too busy. But here's the problem. Some of the people who have the money or the quote unquote success that we look at, they aren't resting either. And we all know getting between six to eight hours of sleep a night is what our bodies need to be rejuvenated. But apparently not if you want to be rich and financially stable. At least that's what certain alleged rich people tell us. They grind it. They hustle. Maybe they were homeless. They lost their job and they just jumped to entrepreneurship, but they hustle and, you know, they change their mindset and then, you know, not they successful now. But once again, we're coming back to this idea of you don't have quote unquote success because you're not doing enough. But what about people who for years have been living paycheck to paycheck? 
barely got a savings account. If they do, if they have an account, they do have a savings account. It's always being drained because you transfer money to your checking. We all been there. I don't think people who are doing that, I don't think they're getting six to eight hours of sleep. I don't think they're being lazy. I think they're worried about money. They're worried about bills. They're worried about basic necessities. Also, we've heard, once again, people like Diddy, you know, when you get rich, you got time to sleep because you got money to make. So that brings me to our last section about no time to rest, hustling and grinding. If you're going to, if you believe in hustling and grinding, if you're wrapped in that culture, then you're not getting rest. You're not sleeping. A rich person might say, the way I stay rich is I don't sleep. I stay hustling. But there also are people who aren't rich who are like, well, I don't rest. I don't sleep because I have two jobs. I got a few extra side hustles. So it's kind of like, wait a minute, what is the truth? <laughs> and Steve Harvey, he got in a little hot water a few years ago when he said on his show, rich people don't sleep eight hours a day. You know, like as if that's something that poor people do, right? Because if you're not rich or if you're middle class, that apparently that means you have all the time in the world to sleep eight hours. Then again, I was thinking like, well, Steve Harvey don't got one job either. It ain't like he got one job. He getting paid $20 million for one job or something like that. He always got three or four jobs, this business over here, this business over here. Ain't nothing wrong with that. But maybe he can't sleep because he doing five, six things. He on the grind, you know, he trying to be like, you know, Beyonce, what Beyonce say, uh, Black Bill Gates, which made me think, I was like, you know what? I wonder what the actual billionaires, right? People who are not just rich. These people are just wealthy. They got money that they can never spend. The children's children can't spend. I wonder if they get sleep, right? But I still wanted to see what they thought about sleep. Seeing how somebody like Diddy don't really get a lot of sleep. Because he hustling. Steve Harvey, like, well, rich people don't sleep. So I'm like, well, let me see with the billionaires. Let's see what they do. So I looked up, I tried to find articles on Bill Gates. He said that he gets at least seven hours of sleep and he tries to get a nap. <laughs> but he did say that when he was in his 20s, that when he was running Microsoft, that it was a grind culture. So you chose your work over your sleep to meet deadlines. And he thought sleeping was lazy. That had me thinking like, man, he was the CEO. He's a, one of the founders, right? And I know he was making money. When he became a billionaire, he had been making all that money. So I'm imagining, wow, the people who worked under him, the workers, imagine how tired they were. Imagine how much hustle and grind they did. And they weren't making a billion dollars. Well, Bill Gates said that eventually that caught up to him and he wasn't as sharp, okay? He wasn't making the good decisions at Microsoft. So he decided like, okay, I got to change my life. I can't do this. I got to get sleep. And so he made that decision and he was like, he never looked back. So like he, sleep is important to him. So then I was like, well, let me look at somebody else like Jeff Bezos, who over Amazon, he is like one of the richest men in the world. It seems that he always believes in sleep. He says he gets eight hours of sleep a night and he did an interview and they were talking about some of his habits. And so one of them was he prioritized sleep because he says, look, I think better. I got more energy. My mood is better. And he said, I get paid to make a small number of high quality decisions. My job is not to do all these little things, making all these decisions every day. And so he was like, of the decisions that he makes, these small decisions, high quality decisions, 
Are they really quality if he's tired or if he's grouchy? And so he said, maybe I'll get more, I get some extra productive hours, right? I don't sleep. I get a few extra hours. He said that the productivity is an illusion. So he said, when we're talking about decisions and quality, that quality is more important than quantity. Now, of course, we have to be honest. Billionaires don't become billionaires by encouraging sleep for their workers, a good work-life balance, making sure people get paid and treated fairly. That's another conversation. (laughs) So I do understand that. Like they're able to sleep and all that because somebody else is doing all the hustling and the grinding. On the flip side, somebody like Elon Musk or Ariana Huffington, they were successful as well. They didn't slow down. They hustle and grind it, right? They didn't sleep. And it caught up with them in ways money couldn't fix. I know Elon Musk had a lot of issue, health issues, insomnia, and he got all this money, but none of that money could fix his health. And Ariana Huffington, I think she like passed out years ago, you know, when she kind of decided, okay, I need to take care of myself. So you never know the health or mental issues someone who promotes grinding and hustling is dealing with behind closed doors. You don't know what they're dealing with. And money does not wipe away your health. Because there are a lot of billionaires and millionaires. There are a lot of people who are rich. They have access to all types of resources. They could get the best doctors. They get the best scientists. And they ain't find no cure for that cancer. They find, like, you know, so money doesn't solve everything. If you think you're trying to get to that level, like those people, you got to think about they have all the money, but they necessarily don't have the health. So it makes me ask the question, who are you if you aren't? producing. So I've experienced burnout myself and I just have one job, but I also have other things that I do like church things. You know, you hang out with your friends, you do all that other stuff. But during the pandemic, being inside, even being inside during the pandemic, I think a lot of us who work from home, who are privileged to work from home, you find out that you're working even more, working even harder. And I came across on social media, the nap ministry. And so the Nat Bishop, Trisha, she has a radical concept. It's not really radical, but I'm calling it it. You know, take a nap. The Nat ministry, take a nap. Use rest as resistance. Finding ways to divest from capitalism, right? So we're going back to um, Dr. Tracy McMillan Cottom when she talks about kind of like that system, the status competition, divesting your self-worth, <laughs> divesting from capitalism. And so even though it's, it's called the Nat ministry, it's not just about naps. So she wants us, she calls for all of us to reimagine reimagine rest. So you could take a longer shower in silence. You can daydream and it's not because you're lazy or procrastinating. You could take a walk. You could like not immediately respond to people's text messages and emails. Meditate, pray, close your eyes for 10 minutes. Take a break from social media. It could be many other things. Everyone can create their own rest practice that works for them. And one of the posts that the nap ministry put out was, this is about more than naps. We are attempting to disrupt a toxic system that ties our worth to how much we produce. Our bodies do not belong to capitalism. We know better, rest and resist. And the nap bishop, she follows in the footsteps of her ancestors and black activists I mentioned earlier. And so she had me thinking, I could listen to music without doing something else. I'm listening to music and I'm cleaning, right? I'm actually doing something. 
I can just sit down and listen to music and do nothing. But what's crazy is it shocked me how I could not find time to do those things. I couldn't even find 10 minutes. She lists all these things she could do. I'm like, I can't do that. If you have a main income source, sometimes you got side hustles, you got networking, other organizations, events, emails, like it's always something to do, always producing, always packing up your schedule. I don't have time to slow down. I can't do those little things because I have a goals I want to reach and daydreaming and taking a long shower and going to laying around in bed and doing nothing. How's that going to help me reach my dreams? Even if I'm tired, how is that going to help me go where I want to go? Some of us use that excuse. And some of us have gone even further where we do it to other people. We point to a list of people, right? And you can insert Chadwick Boseman in this. You say, well, I know people who worked hard. They hustled when they were sick. Or it's somebody who is disabled and they're in a wheelchair and they did this or they did that. It's like you're using that as an excuse to not to rest because you're saying, well, because this disabled person did this, what's my excuse to not continue to produce or start a business? I mean, if someone who has health issues can continue to grind for their dreams, then why aren't we doing what we always dream of doing? Well, there are some disability rights activists who have something to say about that. The term they would use would be ableism. The Center for Disability Rights defines ableism as a set of beliefs or practices that devalue and discriminate against people with physical, intellectual, psychiatric disabilities and often rest on the assumption that disabled people need to be fixed in one form or the other. Writer and disability activist Imani Barberin, she stated in an article she wrote on her website, uh, crutchesandspice.com after Chadwick Boseman's death. In death, fans of Boseman will want to sanitize the nature of their support of him. But looking back, it cannot be ignored that the moment his body began showing signs of disability, he was bullied off of social media platforms and jokes were made at his expense. Now, those same fans use his body as inspiration porn to shame others into productivity. His illness was discounting in life, but in death, it is currency. We cannot dismiss the ableism that comes from within our own community because we are marginalized by white supremacy. If we are going to preach the tenets of each one, teach one, and we take care of our own, we have to put in the work behind it. I have another quote from Imani when she was on the Mars and Blair show. She said, disabled people are not a litmus test for how well your life is doing by comparison. We think that one day in the future, we're going to have it all and then we're going to be able to rest and do vacations and relax. Even when we take vacations, I bet some of us probably don't even really get a a chance to truly rest. We need a vacation from the vacation. We need to make rest something that we do on a daily, weekly basis. And we can still enjoy our family and friends and outside things we're doing within boundaries. And so some folks have us thinking that we individually, just us by ourselves, have a choice in how great our lives will be based on just our mindset in a given day. And it's only hard work, pulling yourself up by your bootstraps, investing in an (laughs) ebook about how a person became a millionaire selling ebooks on how to sell ebooks. 
making it seem like it's so simple to start a business and make money. This is what random people say on the internet. When actual entrepreneurs and successful business owners will tell you, it is a work and nothing is easy, nothing is quick. And the NAP ministry asks us an amazing question. What if we disrupted grind culture? What if we had a lazy day? We're doing nothing. Is not lazy. You aren't lazy. A lazy day means you are actually tired. Change the language. What if we like some activists pivoted and we did not only just self-care, we did community care and collective care. Like imagine what that would look like to, to slow down and rest second nature, like breathing. Like we can feel it and be like, you know what? It's time for me to rest. It's time for me to sit down. Actually, you know what? I'm actually going to say no to this because I need to rest. So finally, as we wrap up this podcast, I think about how some of my ancestors, they couldn't rest. And then I think about like Negro spirituals and songs that came out of slavery. And many times they're talking about the rest and all this happiness that they would receive from running away, from being in bondage, or sometimes a lot of it was afterlife, right? Not on earth. I'm going to go to glory. When I get to glory, then I'm going to be happy. Then I'm going to be out of this horrible life. And so we honor our ancestors in many ways. Do we honor them and all the work and pain that they went through, through resting? Even as we exist in this capitalist society, for those of us in our community, for those in our community who have been called to activism, And to fight against those same systems that our ancestors suffered under, are we looking back to learn and not repeat bad practices? Are we seeing where they went wrong, where they were stressed out, where they didn't rest and we want to do things differently? Do we do like the Nat Bishop mentioned and like many of our grandparents or our parents, you see them with their eyes closed in a chair and it's like, you sleeping? They're like, no, I'm just resting my eyes. (laughs) So maybe catching a nap or resting your eyes should be normalized. How can we really enjoy life or have pleasure if we're always tired or we're stressing about the next time consuming thing that we have to do for somebody, even though we don't want to do it, but then we have these financial goals we want to reach. And, you know, once we get to that, we'll be happy and things will be great. Or, Once this business idea, once you get this business going, then you're going to be well off and things are going to be great. But most successful entrepreneurs, as I told you, they will tell you it's hard work for a long time sometimes. And we almost learn how to say no to pushing ourselves to the limit and yes to pausing and resting. I'm learning it and it isn't easy after years of doing it the other way and being taught that and it being part of our society, our culture. But when I make time to just sit at home doing nothing instead of giving my time and energy for something or people that don't bring me any relief, rest or joy, especially when it's outside of my normal job that brings me my income, I always try to find my rest because I feel like it's a way of not only honoring myself, but honoring my ancestors and this body, this one body I get given to me by the creator. So no matter how many jobs you have right now, how many things you have to do, you can find time to rest. So I challenge you to step away from always hustling and grinding, especially when it's tied to someone else's success and what they did 
and focus on you getting your sleep and believe that you can find a little happiness in resting. Well, now is the time in our episode for our resources. Because as I always say, people always tell you that you need to do your research. However, sometimes when you Google, the first thing on page one isn't exactly the correct information. And if you go on YouTube, you find all types of stuff. So I'm here to help you out. I have a lot of resources this week, and I'm not going to mention all of them, but I am going to list all of them. But the few I will mention is, uh, I mentioned Laziness Does Not Exist. It's an article by Devin Price. I'm posting the link to the article, but also they just released a book, I think this week. So I'm saving it. I have it on my wish list to get. So if you want to read the article, if you like the article, then you can purchase the book. Laziness does not exist as well. Uh, Imani Barberin, the article that I quoted from was titled in Chadwick Boseman, disabled black kids got their superhero. The tragedy is we didn't get to know him as such. And so I leave a link to that article. I also am leaving a link to the NAP ministry, all of the resources that she has, articles, podcasts. She even has a rest hotline. So if ever late at night, you can't sleep, need some inspiration, you can call her hotline. But I'm leaving a link to the NAP ministry where you can find all of her information. For... Some visual resources, I have a few videos. I have a video of Alicia Garza. and She's talking about self-care in relation to activism. And I also have a video of Imani Barberin on the Mars and Blair show talking about ableism. So I have added all these resources plus a whole lot more in the description of this podcast. But you can also see a list of them on more to the quote podcast.com. Well, that concludes our episode. And I hope you learned, question, and consider the things that I said and the voices I amplified said surrounding today's quote. After doing those three things, I hope you come to your own confident conclusion. Don't forget to check out all the resources and you can find my podcast on Apple Podcasts. Please rate me on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, YouTube. And you can follow me on Instagram at more to the quote podcast and Twitter at more to the quote. And I hope you'll join me next time for another episode of There's More to